My hope today is that we would have eyes to see how good, how so good Jesus is. That he would heal areas of our unbelief that's in us. And that he would reveal to us ways that maybe we're operating like these accusers or like this woman. And that ultimately that he would make us more like him. I find it interesting at the beginning of chapter 7, these Pharisees are hot. These guys are frustrated. They're so mad. They're, Why didn't you bring him in? Has he deceived you? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? Basically, if he was God, we would know, right? They're saying to the guards, we would know. No, but this mob that knows nothing, there's a curse on them. And finally to Nicodemus, who seems to be a pretty wise guy. Are you from Galilee too? No prophet comes from Galilee, though many do. Jonah, Nahum, Hosea, Elijah, Elisha, uh, lots of them. These guys were just mad because Jesus didn't look like the Messiah that they were looking for. But by the end of our story, something happens and these guys fade away. So what takes them from this frustration and anger to the point where after seeing him, they fade away? When our story begins, he's in the temple just sitting there doing his thing, right? Like Jesus does, he's just teaching. And they bring this woman in. Our text tells us that they were using this, this woman to trap Jesus in order to have this basis for accusing him. They weren't seeking justice. They were simply using her to prove their point. This is still a big problem for Jesus. If he says, don't stone her, then he, in essence, isn't following the law and, and also isn't, if he says, don't stone her, he's not following the law and can't be the Messiah. If he says to stone her, then he's not the gracious Messiah that we know. And he also would be... Um, be in risk of being arrested by Rome. See, in this time, the Jews did not have the authority to, to execute the death penalty. We see this in, in John chapter 18 when they have Jesus before Pilate and the Jews respond and they say, but we have no right to execute anyone. So what does Jesus do? Something greater. Jesus bends down and starts writing on the ground. Maybe you've seen this and the passion depicted. It's such a wonderful scene. And they keep on questioning him. And he straightens up and says, let any one of you who is without sin throw the first stone at her. And then calmly stoops back down. In light of how mad they were, this is wild that this gets these guys to fade away. Imagine someone makes a passionate Facebook post. Imagine it. And then someone puts an image in the comment section, or maybe just a simple meme. And then that person goes, hmm, you're right, let me delete this. Never happens, right? Never happens. But for some reason, in this story, Jesus doodles on the ground, and these guys fade away. 
It's also noteworthy that being sinless was not a requirement to hold someone accountable to the law. But having the accuser there, the person who would have also been with her, was a requirement. So what's the deal? What causes these guys to fade away? The text doesn't really tell us. It just tells us that the older, older ones first and then the younger ones. But the most compelling argument I found is found in Jeremiah 17. Could Jesus be using the very thing that they are trying to trap him with, which is the word, to flip it back on them? So I want to read a little bit of part of that. So this is Jeremiah writing to the Jewish, uh, excuse me, the tribe of Judah who has just fallen away from God. They've, they're not executing the things that he's called them to be. And, and honestly, they look a lot like the Jewish leaders. I have the screen here for you. Wonderful. This is what the Lord says. Cursed, we're going to start in verse 5 if you flip there. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws his strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We're going to skip down to verse 13. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. These guys know this text. But do they make the connection? Maybe the older ones first and then the next, the younger. But these guys know the book inside and out. From a young age, this is the main thing that they were studying. They knew it like we know little slogans. I remember we were on a mission trip once in Newark, New Jersey, and we were in this train station, and this group of young Jewish kids was just sitting there rocking. I don't know if you've seen this before, just sitting there memorizing scripture. And this is today. These guys knew this thing. They knew it like we know, like I said, these little slogans. So I just want to try a couple just to see if we can, a little call and response to get you guys active. Okay, I have to do this with my students to keep them engaged. So this first one my daughter didn't know, so I hope you guys do. I, I'm pretty sure you will. It says, break me off a piece of that. Okay, or may the force be... Okay, and this one's a risk, but you younger generation, you need to help me out. It starts <clears throat> like this. It says, savage love. Did somebody, did somebody. Yes. Thank you. <sighs> Parents, that just means your kids are on TikTok and Instagram too much. <laughs> Students, okay. Get in the word, please. It's hard to imagine that these guys can't make this connection. Do they re remember the day before when Jesus said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink? 
Can they see that he's the spring in Jeremiah 17? Do they see the connection of their names being written in the dust? Or their lives looking just like Judah? For me, this is just one of the many times that my heart screams, he is the Messiah. Can't they see it? Maybe they can. Maybe they just won't. But there's more in this text. There's more in Jeremiah 17. This, in verse 13, you are the hope of Israel. This word is mikvah that we talk about all the time. You are the mikvah of Israel. These guys do this all the time when they go into synagogue. But the problem is they just, it's, excuse me, it's a ceremonial cleansing that they would do before they go into synagogue. But they're doing it simply on the outside and failing to let it cleanse the inside. These guys pursue the fine details of the law, just like they're doing with this woman. But they miss the more important things. This is a powerful story because it paints a strong picture of these harsh judges who have neglected their responsibility to care for this woman. To them, she is disposable. And their aim is simply to use her to corner Jesus. But they can't. That day, the only one sinless, the only one who could have cast a stone at them and at her, was there. And he had a better way. This story first just makes me celebrate how good God is, like we were doing in those first couple songs. Sorry, this is so weird. RJ, you rock. <laughs> How do you guys do this? <laughs> First makes me celebrate how awesome he is. But then it makes me look and reflect, are there areas of my life where I'm looking like these guys? Do you have memories or stories that you regret? Where you looked like these accusers. I tell the students all the time that, that this was me in high school. I was so done with the cliques and the drama at the school that I went to that rather than looking like Jesus, I just wrote people off. Looking more like the Pharisees because they knew I was Christian. But I'll never forget a moment, and I can't believe I did this, where I got really carried away. Uh, this was Back in 2007, I had just finished a, a six-month training school, discipleship training school. I was on fire for the Lord. I had just gone back to another school, a three-month intensive counseling school. I was getting counseled, being encouraged in the word, and learning to counsel other people. And I was hanging out with this group of guys. Now, to me, this was the coolest group of guys ever. These guys were in love with the Lord. Most of them were in this other school where they were just reading through and studying the entire Bible in an entire year. And they were on fire from the Lord for the Lord. And they were just the coolest group. These guys were from Tonga, from Fiji, from Brazil, from all around the world. And so just to have this group of what I thought was just like manly men who are in love with the word was just really cool to be around. And so one day we were just hanging out. And we saw this guy and this girl climb up into this treehouse that was in the center of the campus. 
And now in the organization that I was a part of, the, the idea of being above, above reproach was a big deal. You never really were just alone, just a guy and a girl like this. We would, two guys walk a girl to her, her dorm at night. And so to see a guy and a girl walk up into a treehouse uh, together was a little bit alarming. So I wish I could say we did the right thing. But instead, a few of us looked down. There were some stones. And we began to grab these little stones and launch them up at the treehouse. Thinking maybe it would say to them, we know you're up there. Come down. But it didn't work like we hoped. Instead, they just hunkered in, right, and hid. They knew that we were out there. They didn't want to come down to the shame. So we just kept throwing them for a little while, not thinking much of it. And then we left and went away, and they probably snuck out. And it wasn't much time later that one of us realized, oh, my. We literally just stoned them. <laughs> now, figuratively, also, we didn't actually stone them. But our hearts saw the thing that we thought was worth accusing, worth pointing out, worth judging in them, failing to see our own accusations, failing to see whatever else junk was going on in our lives. And we could have easily just walked up to that ladder and just said, hey guys, this looks sketchy. <laughs> Come on down. But instead, we stood from afar and just launched these little stones. And this is a lighthearted story, but I think it's true in our lives as well. There's other ways that would, in which we actually do this. I think if we, like the Pharisees, like these Jewish leaders, let the systems of the world and the ways of the world get into us, then we will look nothing other than that, just like them. But I think we live in an, actually a wonderful time when the world is starting to look more and more like these guys, accusing, canceling, using people to prove a point, judging, throwing stones. And we, as the church, have a choice of whether we'll play this game or whether, like Jesus, we'll look for a better way. How do we cast the stone when we look rightly at ourselves? For me, sinner, son, when I'm living in my right identity, I can't. All I can do is lead someone to the bread of life. But imagine being this woman Put yourself in her shoes. I think one of the troubles for, for many of us who grow up in the church is in, unless you've had a prodigal moment, it's hard to connect with this woman in this story, right? It's hard to connect with, with your brokenness being the same or equal to hers unless you see that we look like these Pharisees and really are in just as much need of God's grace and forgiveness. But imagine this at dawn, there Jesus is in the temple courts, and they lead you in, they drag her in. This would feel like Sunday morning, your community, first service, live stream rolling, drags you to the front here, and before everyone, says this man, this woman was caught in the act of, and then fill in the blank. Fill in the blank with that biggest blunder of your life. Fill in the blank with that thing you've buried. Fill in the blank 
with that thing you've repented of, but you still feel like I hope never anybody finds out. This is probably how she felt. These men aren't bringing her forward in a Galatians 6 style, where if someone's caught in sin, they should restore that person gently, humbly. No, they're just using her as a trap. The other man isn't present, and they don't really care. Imagine the shame, the guilt, the humiliation. And then there's Jesus. I bet she couldn't even look at him. I know scripture says there was nothing physically amazing about him. But I'd bet a lot that his eyes were pure. That when you looked him in the eyes, you just knew. Is there a way that she hadn't heard of this miracle worker who's doing these things? I doubt it. What would it feel like to be exposed in front of him? And what would she be thinking in the suspense as he responds by drawing and standing and talking to them and then kneeling back down to draw again? Probably felt like forever. Then, like a judge or an attorney, he stands up to defend you, says, let anyone of you who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone at her. And then these men, the accusers, slowly fade away. What a relief. But that's not all. He stands and he speaks to her. He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Probably took her forever to say these words. No one, sir, then neither do I condemn you. What would it feel like to hear this? Probably like a cold drink of water on the most scorching hot day. Do you know this feeling? Do you remember this feeling the first time you understood this? Do you know this voice? Do we know this crossroads? Or do we better know the voice of our accusers? Do you hear more accusations or more words that sound like Jesus? This past winter, um, I lost a student, and uh, a friend of mine sent me this list of words. And I realized that during this time, I was hearing a lot more words of the accusers than I was of my Lord and Savior, Jesus just a couple where, where things like God's voice stills you when Satan's crushes you. God's leads when Satan's pushes you. God's reassures when the enemies frightens you. God's voice enlightens you when the accusers confuses you. What a relief when the only one sinless says neither do I condemn you. From shame, embarrassment, humiliation, to the words of the Savior of the world. If you never drank this in, I encourage you today to do so. So we take communion, and we'll have the prayer team here at the end to grab someone and pray with them. 
Every day for months, I drove by this sign of graffiti. I think we have a photo for you. It says, freedom is dead. I loved it and I hated it because it was a realization as I drove by it each and every day that the freedom that we think that we can have from politics, health, wealth, is dying in our country. And don't hear me wrong, I love these freedoms. But I think it's also revealing some of the idols in our lives. Some of the idols in my life. And it's times like these that I think we begin to taste how good freedom in Christ and these words in this story really are. I wish I could meet whoever wrote this thing and show them where true freedom is. But there's two sides to this coin of freedom. The first says, neither do I condemn you. And that is first. And the second is, go now and leave your life of sin. It's important that we get those in the right order. And without both sides, though, this coin is useless. It won't work in the pinball machine of life. And if we try, then we'll just look like the Pharisees in this story. But don't get me wrong, each of these can be equally hard to accept. Accepting our freedom, our sonship. Can be one of the toughest people, things for people. It's easy to hold on to the words of the accuser. To believe that there is no guilt, no shame, because of what he's done on the cross. But then also we're called to live a life that strives to be like him, that strives not to be complacent, but to do something about it and to walk it out. I love in this story that Jesus is so gentle with both of these parties. This is not always the case. Sometimes he's very strong with the Pharisees and the accusers. But in this story, he just seems to be so gentle. And I love this because both need him so much. And I so badly want both to see him. And in my life, I know I've been both of these people And I need freedom from both. When I begin to live like either character in today's story, I need his word, this body, this community, to bring me back to the truth. For some of us today, I think we need to reflect and assess assess, are the ways of the world and the systems of the world getting into us. Can we put those up against Jesus and see what we're really living by. I think we need to look at ourselves and ask, do we look more like the Pharisees, quick to launch stones, or or like this woman in need of forgiveness? Or do we look like Jesus, willing to be wronged, even to the point of death on the cross? Before we end today, I just want to say, I am so grateful for this community. There's no community that I would rather be a part of. Uh, I know we make mistakes individually and together as a body. But I see so many people in this community receiving this gospel, receiving a new identity, 
And I just want to say, like, I see that. I'm so proud of this community. And I see the things that, that you're doing, the sin that's left behind, and the beautiful lives that are being lived. And I think sometimes, because we don't want to let our left hand know what our right hand is doing, we don't do a great job of, of always sharing those things. We're trying to do that a little bit more with videos nowadays, but it's just not our style. But I am just so grateful. Every time I just spend time with someone, I was at a soccer game this week and spending time with another family and just hearing of the amazing things that people are doing. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for that because this type of community allows me to wrestle through these things. This community has allowed me to see areas of my life where I look like these accusers and give me grace to over time begin to live more and more like him. So for that I say thank you. And I encourage you guys to keep going low, to keep going, keep looking like him. Will you pray with me? Father, I just thank you for your word that directs us as we get off the path. Pray that you would just heal us, heal us. Give us eyes to see those areas of unbelief. Give us eyes to see how amazing you are. That our hearts would just jump for joy to, to look and to be more and more like you each and every day. Thank you, Lord, for your word and your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen.